You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havelock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, how hackers have been trading on stolen press releases, a raft of changes for Norges Bank, and what the SEC's disclosure ruling might mean for IR. Welcome back to the Ticker Podcast, a weekly audio roundup of the top stories from the wide, wide world of investor relations. This week, there are three in the pod, as I'm joined by Tim Heeman and Garnet Roach. Hi, Hello. Hello. Um, I've got something to confess this week, guys. I think this is the first time I've ever felt jealous of my parents going on holiday. Bear with me, there is a link. Uh, they've gone off to Norway this week for their 30th wedding anniversary. Congrats, mum and dad. Congratulations, well Laurie's mum and dad. They even sent me tantalising photos from a Viking brewery, which is pretty much my two biggest buzzwords. Um, have you guys ever been to Norway? I've always wanted to go it must be a popular place to go for wedding anniversaries my parents yeah. went there last year for their 25th what is it about norway and wedding anniversaries is it something people's like- parents and um then me cause I, <laughs> I go there as well i really like norway oh do you what's what, what are your top tips for norway what, what do you, do you obviously enjoy the doing? northern lights um traveling by sledge as oh, a yeah? as a valid form of you know, a valid <laughs> way to get from one house to the next that's, uh, that made me very happy. My parents did that. They, they, they did husky sledging. Oh. They saw the Northern Lights. They also went to an ice hotel in somewhere called Kirkenes. Apologies to all Norwegian listeners. <laughs> um, apparently, it's near the Russian border. Did they, uh, did they go on the Hutigruten? You'll have to explain to me what that <laughs> is. What is the Hutigruten? The Hutigruten. It's like a cruise company that goes around the fjords. But I was just like saying, Hutigruten. Oh, you can browse the fjords. <laughs> Do you know, I think that's what they did. They went on a, on a, a cruise ship all the way up the coast. Um, it was something they did just after they'd got engaged, like all that time ago. And they were sort of, you know, reliving that trip. Oh, Nice. Yeah, I've always wanted to go on that. I think I do too now. I'm even more jealous. IR Magazine. Um. <laughs> Expedition to Norway. Should we do our podcast live from, you know, live from Oslo? <laughs> well, sticking with Norway for a second, and Tim has been looking at the latest rough changes um, coming in at Norges Bank. Tim, can you tell us a bit more about what's happening there? Yes, there's been quite a lot of news coming out of Norges, which is the investment bank which manages the oil fund this week, um, which is of interest to, to IROs. So probably the, the, the headlines uh, came out of an interview that was done with the CEO and uh, with the FT, which talked a bit about how they're going to be upping their focus on governance. Now, this is something they've been increasing their focus on in general. Um, as, you know, as they get bigger, as they hold bigger stakes in listed companies and more listed companies, then there's pressure on them to be active owners and not just be passive owners, um, you know, take an interest in, in running the companies better. So they're going to be making changes in a number of different ways. First of all, they're upping the number of companies that they analyse in depth from 500 to 1,000. So there's going to be a lot more companies that are going to be under their scrutiny in terms of governance and, and, and related areas. They're also planning to reveal their voting intentions before annual meetings more. A recent development is that they've been revealing after annual meetings how they voted on different issues. But what they're going to start doing more is saying beforehand what their position is partly to aid transparency, but also partly to um, help lead the debate on those issues. They did have a target this year of doing it at 10 or 20 companies. So far, they've done it at three. That's certainly something they're going to be doing more of over the next couple of years. They're also going to be issuing position papers on different governance topics. So at the moment, they've released one on proxy access. They've also released one on voting on individual directors. But according to the article, they're actually planning to release papers on up to 20 different topics. And so it'll be quite easy for companies to go on their website and look at how they view different areas, how they're likely to vote on different issues. 
Is that a normal thing for a sovereign wealth fund to do to establish their position on issues, you know, ahead of ahead of voting and let companies know in advance? Not really. Um, but Norges Bank is they're very unique among sovereign wealth funds. They're very open, you know, massively more so than anybody else, really. So it's not it's not so shocking from them. But as a sovereign wealth fund, it's quite unusual. How interesting. They have a, quite a lot of information available about what they do already. They have a great website, actually, if you go on there. There's lots of information about what they're doing, where they're invested. Also got quite a cool ticker, which shows how their oil fund is constantly increasing in value. Yeah, wow. yeah. They have nice videos on there as well, um, showing all their oil. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually um, spoke to Norges Bank for a feature that I've written on sovereign wealth funds where they offered some tips on what they want to see from IR as well. That'll be in fall. Watch out for that in the fall <laughs> issue, yeah. The third area which they're going to be sort of changing their practices refers more to uh, local companies. In Norway, it's, it's generally the practice for large shareholders to sit on the nominating committee for directors. Uh, Norges has generally not done that, but it's something that's going to be doing more. So it's started to sit on the, uh, the on the committee of a couple of companies, and it's going to be expanding that role at other the listed companies. And haven't Norges also been um, releasing some statements about external issues as well? I, I believe I've read something about their advice for stock exchanges, for one. Yes, they've made a couple of statements on both uh, exchanges and trading, and then also proxy advisors. So looking at exchanges first, um, they put out a discussion paper thinking about how exchanges in the future can better serve big institutional investors like Norges. And what they're saying is that trading volumes keep going up, but actually liquidity isn't improving because there's so many different trading venues. And they think that exchanges need to think about the fact that there are these big institutional investors that want to make big block trades and not have a big market impact. And so they're, they're advising you know, people like the London Stock Exchange and others to think about ways to sort of slow down the trading a bit. And, and find new ways to, to serve investors that want to do large trades that aren't going to be impacted by all of the high-frequency trading and algorithms that are going on out there. And the other thing they talked about was the proxy um, advisory industry. Now, a couple of years ago in Europe, um, at a European level, um, it was decided that this industry didn't need regulation. It could self-regulate. And there's various concerns about conflicts of interest, for example, where proxy advisors are both judging companies on governance issues, but then also offering them governance advice from a separate part of their business. And the question is, can they do both of those things? Norges doesn't think so. And in written comments, it said, quote, we continue to see clear conflict of interest risk when voting advisors sell services to both shareholders and issuers. So they're putting pressure on regulators to look at this again. However, seeing as they only looked at it a couple of years ago um, and decided regulation wasn't needed, I don't think there'll be any changes in the pipeline soon. Well, we're going to upsail from Norway and sail across the Atlantic to the brave new world of America. Um, we're going to also look at corporate governance there uh, because I've been looking a bit more at the SEC's disclosure ruling, uh, which was confirmed um, a couple of weeks ago and will require listed companies to reveal the ratio of their CEO's pay to that of their median employee. We had to rack our brains a bit in the office to remember our GCSE maths, but the uh, the median employee we remembered is effectively the middle earner of all, all the company's employees. It's a bit of a, a weird and hard metric to work out, um, but is intended to promote increased transparency and pay fairness at US companies. And there's a consensus that the ruling may spark similar uh, regulatory moves elsewhere in the world. And to get a bit more of an idea about the global attitude towards pay-related disclosure, I spoke to Amirit Ehrenstein, who is a professional support lawyer who specialises in employee incentives, luckily, uh, at Linklaters, the law firm Linklaters. 
And she says the rules that the UK brought in under Vince Cable a few years ago, where listed companies must annually disclose the annual percentage change in both their CEO and separately group employees' pay, so compare the two um, from the past year, are a bit too watered down to be very useful for shareholders. Coming out of the financial crisis, the government could not just say, we want to make sure that directors are not getting paid too much. So instead, the UK legislation ultimately is about creating a framework giving greater transparency and the ability to compare similar companies and looks to investors and companies to reach a position with which they would both be comfortable. So far, we have not seen institutional investors focusing on the percentage change ratio. They are more concerned to link pay to performance and appropriate returns to shareholders. Although the SEC has said that the requirement to disclose CEO median employee pay ratio has been calibrated with substantial flexibility, due to this very flexibility, we think there is a risk that the result will become as meaningless a disclosure as the percentage increase disclosure has probably become in the UK in companies' remuneration reports. Einstein also says that the current regulatory climate in the EU is tending towards similar disclosures, but she warns, however, that there is such variation in legal requirements and corporate governance practices uh, across the continent that companies are yet to take up the practice wholeheartedly. Only a handful of EU countries have got anything on remuneration regulation in place like the UK. Sweden is probably the closest in that there is a statutory requirement to put a remuneration policy to a vote and disclose any payments made to directors. No country has a requirement to disclose the ratio between CEO pay and employee pay, even in the watered-down version we have in the UK, which is limited to disclosing the percentage change in CEO pay from last year compared to all employees' pay or a comparative group of them if all employees are not appropriate. In most EU countries, there is no legal requirement relating to directors' pay regulation. In some, it is more a matter of best practice or corporate governance and the level of disclosure is not that high. And isn't the EU looking into doing something similar? Yes, I think so. They're currently drafting similar pay ratio rules, but um, apparently the language used is very kind of general and non-specific as well. So it's a little bit hard to conclude anything. And Ehrenstein says that they're approaching what the UK already has in place as the model for them. But they're yet to be confirmed as part of a directive which should be finalised in the next couple of years. The EU-wide draft legislation is phrased in more general terms, but it does include the requirement to disclose the increase in director's pay versus the increase in employee pay over a three- or five-year period. If this is included in the final EU directive, which is far from certain, it will mean a similar requirement to what we already have in the UK, though over a longer period of time. Uh, So should all of this legislation come to pass, the question remains of what IR's role is going to be. And it's something I've been looking at in the last week and haven't really come to any concrete conclusions about because no one really knows what these rules are going to look like when they finally become law. But um, Graham Rowlands-Hempel, who's a consultant who focuses on employment and incentives, also at Linklaters, says that it's yet to be discussed by any lawmakers at all about what IR's going to do. He says, quote, I think what companies are doing is complying with regulation. And I guess that's all they can do for now. Something for you to um, keep abreast of for the next two years, Laurie. 
Absolutely, I'll be I'll be your number one stop for all things pay ratio related. You will, and so will IR magazine. More crucially, well, another thing the SEC have had to deal with this week um, is the news that a group of hackers have been messing around with press releases and trading on the secrets contained within Garnet. I think you've been looking a bit more into this high tale of corporate espionage. <laughs> Yes, I have. This week the news came out that an alleged international group of hackers with two key members based in the Ukraine have been trading on stolen press releases for a number of years. Sorry, I condemned them straight away. They're only alleged hackers. They are, Laurie. The US Justice Department charged nine people and arrested two on Tuesday, issuing a statement saying that more than 150,000 press releases were stolen from PR Newswire, Businesswire and MarketWired and allowed the group to rake in over $30 million in illegal trading profits over three years. A parallel civil complaint by the SEC, meanwhile, has 32 people charged with fraud, with the Commission saying that the scheme generated more than $100 million in illegal profits since 2010. Some of the companies, among a total of hundreds targeted by the group, were also named and include Align Technology, Caterpillar, Hewlett-Packard, Home Depot, Panera Bread and Verisign, which is actually a internet security company. And the SEC detailed what it called one particularly dramatic instance in May 2013, and it says, quote, The hackers and traders allegedly moved in the 36-minute period between a newswire's receipt and release of an announcement that a company was revising its earnings and revenue projections down. The SEC says that 10 minutes after the company sent the still confidential release to the newswire, traders began selling short its stock and selling CFDs. It alleges that the group gained $511,000 in profits when the company's stock price fell following the announcement. But surely these press releases must be, you know, kept under lock and key online. How do they know how the systems of these newswires were hacked into? So the alleged hackers uh, apparently accessed the embargoed market-moving information using what are known as SQL injection attacks, which provide unauthorised access to computers connected to the internet. The Justice Department says the traders even created shopping lists or wish lists for the hackers with details of upcoming press releases that they wanted access to. And the hackers and traders then used foreign shell companies to share in the illegal trading profits. And what are the newswires saying about this? So statements have been issued, of course, um, and Businesswire actually offered the most detail. It says that it hired its own prominent cybersecurity firm to conduct forensic testing of its systems, as well as working with the US government. Talking about the substantial resources the newswire service dedicates to security, CEO Kathy Baron tamra says in a statement that, quote, Despite extreme vigilance and commitment, recent events illustrate that no one is immune to the highly sophisticated illegal cyber intrusions that are plaguing every aspect of our society. I mean, as, as we all know from the number we receive every week, embargoed press releases are such a kind of ingrained part of the news release process. How likely is this case to impact how that works? Well, John Levin, a securities lawyer and partner at Toronto-based Faskin Martineau, raised this point as well. He says, quote, Absent absolute confidence of privacy and confidentiality, this practice would have to change and the timely flow of public disclosure could be adversely affected. Of course, some companies don't use uh, newswires. They, they self-publish their press releases. However, I don't think that's any more secure. You know, hackers can get into individual company systems. They could potentially get into uh, newswire systems as well. You know, everyone's at risk of uh, cyber attacks of one kind or another. I guess the only way to, to avoid having any problems is to not 
host something on your website in advance. I mean, we say that embargoed press releases are really part of what we do, but you know, maybe the only alternative is to only to put it up moments before the news is going to be made public anyway. Yeah, or hand hand delivered, hand delivered. Yeah, yeah, whispered Pigeon. into people's ears. Pigeon. Yeah, all of these things could work. Well, we're finishing off the podcast with a very dramatic story. Thank you, Garnet. Um, we will be back next week uh, again without Condis, who I believe will still be on holiday. And maybe we'll be coming live at you from the... Remind me of the name, Garnet. Hootigruten. The Hootigruten from Norway. I think we should organise a team-building trip to you know, Viking I'd, breweries. I'd, yeah, and I'd be more productive. Scenic fjords. Um, but thank you both for joining me this time. Thank you, Laurie. Thanks, Laurie. Um, we'll be back next time, like I said. Um, enjoy your week and see you then. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.